Hi, I'm Jennifer Matthewson Spear, and you have joined us today for a Word of Joy podcast. When I announced that I was teaching through the book of Philippians in the study, I had so many people that said, oh, I love Philippians. That's just one of my favorite verses and favorite books in, in the entire Bible. So that let me know that many of us have studied the book of Philippians. We've heard a lot of sermons from Philippians. There are some very familiar verses that, that we often use in our, in our teaching and in our conversation with people. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus so many familiar verses in Philippians and and there is this overwhelming sense that the book of Philippians is all about joy and tonight we're going to begin a study of these four very short concise chapters this letter that Paul has written Paul wrote this letter from prison. If you, if you read the book of Acts and you come to the end of the book of Acts, Paul has been imprisoned in Rome. The Bible says that he is in his, he is in a, his own rented quarters, but he is imprisoned there. People are free to visit with him, but he doesn't have any supplies or foods. Family always had to provide the food and the, and the supplies that a prisoner needed in Rome. And so Paul is under house arrest. He is in this prison um, setting at the end of Acts. And um, he's writing this letter to a church in a little city called Philippi. Philippi is a Roman colony. It was named after Alexander the Great's father and when the Greek um, empire fell and Rome took over, Octavius um, called it Philippi and, and it sits on this main thoroughfare, a main trade road. And so many, many people would come through the area of Philippi. Everyone who lived, everyone who was a resident and a citizen of Philippi was also a Roman citizen. And the people in Philippi were very proud of their Roman citizenship. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 16 that Paul went to Philippi on his second missionary journey with Silas. He had had a vision. A man had come to him in a vision and said, please come to Macedonia. And Philippi is in the region of Macedonia. It is in what we now know as Europe. And Paul went to Philippi, and when he got there, he usually would go to the synagogue on the Sabbath and teach and talk with the Jewish people in the synagogue. But in Philippi, there were no synagogues. It tells us that there were not even 10 Jewish men in the city of Philippi. It is a completely Gentile city because it took 10 Jewish men to form a synagogue, and there was no synagogue. So Acts chapter 16 says that Paul went outside of the city gates on the Sabbath and he met with a group of people who were there to pray. And he was going to share the gospel with this group of people. And in this group of people was a woman named Lydia. And the Bible says she's from Thyatira, which is another city, and she is a seller of purple. She sold purple dye and she made purple garments. She was probably very wealthy and she was there at the river that day, a resident of Philippi, and she listened to Paul share the gospel. And the Bible says, and she opened her heart to the gospel and she believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Christ and she asked Paul and Silas to come and to stay at her house and they did and the church of Philippi was established right there in the home of Lydia. A lot of other things happened in Acts chapter 16. Um, there was a slave girl who was possessed by a demon and she was also a fortune teller and her owners made a lot of money from her fortune telling and, and she was just like this little puppy nipping at your heels and she followed Paul around and she was always saying things and Paul just finally lost his patience with her and he turned and he commanded the demon to come out and the demon came out but the owners of the slave were very upset because now they had lost their means of making money through her fortune telling. And so they turned him over to the city officials saying that he was causing a riot. They arrested him, they beat him, and he and Silas, and they put him in jail. And then there's that famous story that we tell children all the time in Sunday school. That night in the jail, Paul and Silas are singing and an earthquake comes and the jail doors burst open and Paul and Silas are free to go. But the Philippian jailer is in charge of those prisoners and he knows his life will be taken if any prisoners are missing. And so he wants to kill himself to spare the persecution that he will endure because of missing prisoners. And Paul and Silas speak up and they say, no, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer invites them to his home. And the Bible says that Philippian jailer and all of his household became believers that night. Paul loves the church that was formed in Philippi. He visits them at least two other times on his third missionary journey. And this church loves Paul in return. As a matter of fact, when they hear that Paul is imprisoned in Rome, they send one of their own, one of their ministers, their messengers called Epaphroditus, and they send him with money and supplies to go and take to Paul in prison in Rome. And you have to understand it was no small journey to go from one city to another. And Epaphroditus brings this gift from the church at Philippi to Paul in Rome. And while he's there, Epaphroditus becomes gravely ill. As a matter of fact, Paul later says he almost lost his life. He almost died because of this willingness to bring a gift to Paul. And we learn from Philippians chapter 2 that when Epaphroditus recovered, he was anxious to get home to Philippi, and the church in Philippi was anxious for him to come home. They missed him. And so Paul sends Epaphroditus home to Philippi with a letter, a letter of thanks. That letter is the book of Philippians. And so when we come to this book of Philippians, we have to understand that Paul loves these people. He has a heartfelt ministry with them. They have not just been a church that he planted and left. They have just ingrained themselves into his heart. And they have loved him and they have cared for him. It's a very personal letter. It's filled with thanksgiving. And 19 times in the book of Philippians, you will find the word joy. Or some form of the word joy. And many people say that they... The theme of Philippians is joy. And while it, it, it would be splitting hairs to say, no, it's not, but I don't think that's the theme. I don't think that's the intent that Paul had was to write a letter about joy. It was just the joy that it was overflowing in him for these people, actually for the Lord in these people. 
The reason I can't say to you that joy is the theme of Philippians is because an equal number of times in the book of Philippians is the concept of suffering, difficulties, circumstances that are hard, people who are difficult, the pull of this world, anxiety, pressure, the need to have your needs met, the desire to have your needs met and knowing that things are slim. There are those kinds of things are mentioned an equal number of times with joy. It's two parallel truths running side by side that seem to contradict each other. Suffering and at the same time, joy. So how do we, how do we rationalize, how do we think through this joy, this idea of joy in the midst of difficulties? And, and you can use the word suffering, you can use the word difficulties, you can use the word problems, you can use trials. Put in whatever word you want to put in there. I'm going to use the word suffering. Paul is not talking about experiencing joy in some vacuum where everything is blissful and circumstances are good and nothing is ever happening wrong or bad to you and nobody's ever hurt you and life is good and therefore you can have joy. Paul is talking about joy in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of suffering. In fact, I want to propose to you tonight that joy, biblical joy, and we'll talk about that in just a minute, is impossible or does not exist without suffering. When you look at all of scripture, almost every time you see the word joy, there is some background of suffering. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. The cross and the shame of it was suffering, and yet there in the midst of that suffering, Hebrews puts the word joy. This joy that is forthcoming, this joy that is ahead, this joy that he could see that made him willing to endure the suffering. If you go to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, and we have done this verse in every Bible study I have ever taught. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Consider it joyful when you encounter a trial. And that word various is different kinds of trials. It doesn't mean little ones or big ones. It means we're going to encounter all kinds of trials and we're going to encounter them unexpectedly. And we are supposed to consider it or count it joy. Well, I'm here to tell you the trials of life are not joyful. But James is saying it's not the trial that's joyful. It's what God is doing in us and through us in the midst of the trial. That's where the joy is. 1 Peter 1.6 In this you greatly rejoice, even if now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. You are greatly rejoicing. And what is the, he says, in this you greatly rejoice. Well, you have to go back and read the two preceding verses. The this is our salvation in Christ. We rejoice in this great salvation in Christ, Christ living in us, even though right now we are, we are experiencing trials and difficulties. When you look at every letter 
that Paul ever wrote, it was always to a congregation, to a church that was experiencing some sort of difficulty. In every book of the Bible, there is difficulty. You read the Psalms, Ecclesiastes, especially the book of Job. Every book of the Bible, there is suffering, there is persecution, there is difficulty. And yet in every book, there is this Godward gaze that brings joy. How can it be? You look at Christian history. If you ever read Christian history, how many people have suffered and died and been persecuted for their faith? Just pick up a little copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs. It just recounts over and over the stories of people who have suffered and yet in their suffering, it is amazing to hear the joy. Bring it a little closer to home and, and there's testimonies from women like Elizabeth Elliot and Johnny Erickson Tata and Laura Story. People who have suffered and yet somehow in their suffering God is working and God is doing something and there's joy. But I want to bring it even closer to home. Look at the woman on the right and the left of you tonight. Look at her. Every person in here has suffered on some level to some degree about something suffering is a common human experience the particulars of it are different for you and me but the experience of suffering is common to us all. And somehow when we come to the book of Philippians, in this varied kinds and amounts of suffering that we go through, Paul and indeed all of scripture is saying, there's joy. How can that be? Well, I think we have to define joy. We have to first look at what joy is not, and then we will look at what is joy. Joy, biblical joy, is not an emotion. It is not cheerfulness or exuberance or optimism or an upbeat personality. It's not, it is not always manifested in a smile or in boundless laughter. Joy is not and emotion and unfortunately in the English language we have almost always interchanged the word joy with happiness I, I got so many Christmas cards secular and religious Christmas card that used the word joy and almost all of them gave you the sense of that Christmas was supposed to be a very happy time or am I y'all y'all on the same page with me here we almost always in the English language use joy and happiness interchangeably you remember that when we studied hope a couple of years ago we came upon this same problem because the English language the word hope almost always means wish or wishful and that's not the definition of biblical hope biblical hope is the anticipation the confident anticipation that God will do what God has said he will do that's our hope and so the same is with joy. We are going to, throughout this study, you are going to have to constantly adjust your thinking because that English word joy, equivalent with happiness, is really ingrained in us. And, that, and that's not a terrible thing. That's not a sinful thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just our language, how our language has evolved. And so throughout this study, I'm going to warn you up front, you're going to constantly have to adjust your thinking away from the idea that joy and happiness are equivalent. They're not. Not in this study, not biblically. 
So then, what is joy? First and foremost, write this down somewhere. Joy is a work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Galatians 5 verses 22 and 23 are familiar verses about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is, and then Paul gives nine characteristics of this fruit, of this working of the Holy Spirit. The fruit is singular. That means there is one fruit and all these characteristics. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. But what's next? Joy. Peace, patience, goodness, gentleness. All that, that list, I think it's seven, not nine. That list that he gives us of these characteristics of the working of the Holy Spirit within us. And so to take that working of the Holy Spirit and that whole list and then to pull out one characteristic joy and to isolate it and define it is very hard because it really is linked with all the other characteristics there of that working of the Holy Spirit. But if I have to define joy, and, and I've read other writers and other commentators who have tried their best to define what this biblical joy is, it is a deep contentment that only Christ can give. It is a gladness of heart. And again, this is not a gladness based on our emotions, our personality, our optimism, our cheerfulness, our smiles, our laughter. It is a gladness of heart that exists even in the suffering because it is a work of the Holy Spirit within us. I believe that joy is most closely associated with peace. They are very much alike. They're like best friends. And as a matter of fact, if you look at Romans chapter 15, verse 13, may the God of all hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust him so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's that Holy Spirit at work in us. And he said, God is doing a work in us, giving us hope and joy and peace. I had a friend who preached a message and he, he said something so interesting that just so caught my attention. He said, joy and hope and peace are like three best buddies. They just link arms and they go everywhere with each other. My mom has a best buddy and her name's Lil. Both of them were widowed about the same time. And my sister and brother and I are so thankful for Lil because Lil has come in and really filled a void in my mom's life. So that her children who live so far away don't feel guilty all the time because she's living this empty life. She's not at all that kind of person. But she and Lil have just this incredible friendship. And I think of that like joy and peace and hope. It's just this incredible interlinking dependency on one another. But joy is a work of the Holy Spirit. It is this inner deep contentment a gladness of heart not necessarily in the circumstances but in Christ you cannot achieve joy you can't achieve it you can only receive it biblical joy no circumstance can produce this kind of joy in your life 
only the Holy Spirit can produce it. And because the Holy Spirit is at work in you, joy is not dependent on a circumstance or a lack of circumstance. I have had women say to me, I don't believe joy is possible for me. I've been through too much. I have too much baggage. I have too many problems. I suffer from depression. Joy is not possible for me. Well, let me tell you something about that statement. If joy, peace, hope, love, goodness, gentleness, if the fruit of the Spirit is only for those of us who are living in wonderful, perfect, blissful circumstances, then we, everyone in this room, we're without hope. And God's a liar. Because scripture says, as a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit within you, and the Holy Spirit is at work, and our responsibility is to cooperate with him as he works in us. And he is the one who produces the fruit, and part of that fruit is joy. So, so how do we do all this? Paul gives us some insight. Go with me to Philippians chapter 1. Paul gives us some insight about experiencing this kind of joy. When you look at verse 1, just in the very first phrase, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus. Now, some of your translations probably say servants, do they? But the word in the Greek is doulos, which is a bond servant. It's a very particular kind of servant. In the Roman culture and even in the Jewish culture, there were different levels or different kinds of servants in a wealthy household. There were those kind of servants that could be hired and fired for any little thing. They didn't wear shoes. They didn't wear an outer garment. They just wore a little white tunic. And they did the most menial tasks in the house. But there was a, the highest level of a servant was a doulos. The doulos was a member of the family. He participated with the family. He would never be bought or sold. He was in a permanent relationship with the family. He could even conduct business for the family. But the one overriding characteristic of a doulos, of a bondservant, was that he had nothing on his own. He wanted nothing on his own. He had no plans, no purpose, no possessions. The only thing he lived for is the will of the master. So in defining a doulos, a bondservant, in the context that Paul says, I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ, it is one who is in a permanent relationship of servitude his will lost in the will of the master and Paul says I'm a bond servant of Christ I am abandoned to Christ surrendered to Christ if you will intoxicated with Christ completely under the control of Christ it is a single-minded mindset that everything is funneled and filtered through the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't see circumstances isolated from anything. We see it through the lens of Christ. It is an abandonment to him. It is, it is everything about our lives is focused and directed towards the Lord Jesus Christ. That is such a foreign concept for us most of the time. 
but it's what scripture, what, what the Lord is asking of us. You might say, well, Jennifer, I, I can, I, I just, I'm just going to do better then. I'm just going to be more committed. I'm not talking about commitment. You see, you can be committed to just about anything. You can be committed to the bridge club or your HOA or your sorority or some organization or the PTA. You can be very committed to your church, to your Sunday school class, to your small group. You can be committed to so many things because commitment is really all about you. Surrender is an abandonment of yourself and it's all about Christ. There's a humorous little story I heard years ago and it kind of sums up the difference between commitment and surrender. There was a pig and a chicken having a conversation. They were on Farmer Brown's farm and, and the pig was new to the farm and so the chicken was giving him the lowdown on how things run at the farm and the, and, and the pig said, well, how, tell me about Farmer Brown. What about Farmer Brown? The chicken said, oh, we love Farmer Brown. Farmer Brown is the best farmer in the entire county and we would do anything for Farmer Brown. And the pig said, well, what does Farmer Brown like? And the chicken said, well, Farmer Brown likes bacon and eggs every morning for breakfast. <laughs> That little pig said, hey, that's a big commitment for you, but that's total sacrifice for me. <laughs> that's the difference between commitment and surrender. It is total sacrifice. Our plans, our past, our hurt, our suffering, our future, our families, our children, our desires, our dreams, everything we say, everything we do, the way we live this life, it is surrendered to Christ. It is only for him that we live and to bring glory to God because we are surrendered to Christ, leaning on him in all things. And yet in this surrender, in this abandonment to Christ, in this experiencing joy because we are surrendered to him, we have a responsibility. It is not just this laid back, okay, come on God, sock it to me, give me the joy. We are responsible for cooperating as the Holy Spirit is working within us, to let him do what he wants to do to adjust us, to clean us out, to, to get rid of the stuff in our life, to direct us, to put us on the right path. We are, we are responsible for that. And listen carefully to this. The degree of, our degree of surrender is directly proportionate to our degree of joy. The degree that you trust and are abandoned to Christ is the degree you will experience the joy and, in fact, all of the fruit of the Spirit, Spirit and every blessing that's already ours. You see, joy is your birthright as a child of God. Not happiness, but joy. And inner contentment no matter what's going on in your world because Christ is in you and Christ is at work in you it is one of the most mysterious things about the Christian life and when I say mysterious I don't mean mystical I mean just a mystery how God can be at work in all the junk that happens to us and somehow plant deep in our hearts this conviction and this knowledge that he is there, that he loves us, that he's at work and somehow in it all, he will get the glory. I have to tell you that this particular study 
of Philippians is very special to me. It is the first women's conference I ever taught in Northwest Arkansas in 1999. I, I went through the book of Philippians with them. I still have my notes from 1999. It was one of the first books that I ever took a college class through. I, I taught college students in Knoxville. The University of Tennessee was there and, and our church had grown. We had a lot of college students and, and I was their Sunday school teacher and we went through the book of Philippians and I, I still have those notes. And so when I felt, and I haven't taught this book from cover from front to back, all four chapters in, in probably 15 or 20 years, but I still had all those notes. And so as I began to study, I went back to those notes and I began to read them, and I, and I noticed something very interesting. The study was good. The study was solid. The notes were right. The outlines were on point. But I was using illustrations. You know how I always use illustrations and stories. Every illustration and every story that I used in this study of Philippians 20 years ago was somebody else's story. It was somebody else's hurt, somebody else's epiphany, somebody else's struggle somebody else's story but they weren't my stories and so as I read my notes back I realized where God had taken me in the last 15 years that now I could teach this study for the first time ever from front to back all four chapters and I didn't have to use somebody else's story I could use mine that I could look you in the eye and say with absolute confidence, through loss, through grief, through prodigals, through sin, through cancer, through upheavals in life, it's true, it's true, it's all true. And it is not my experience that validates scripture, it is scripture that validates my experience that somehow in the crush of life, the Holy Spirit is working, the Holy Spirit is using it. And you know what? Sometimes the joy is not in the moment. Sometimes it is the anticipation of what God will do in the future and how he will use the difficulties of life that brings the joy. That somehow he could get the glory out of all this life that we have to live. I have a, a dear friend and I, I emailed him to ask him some questions about this chapter and, and about this study and, and how, it, how you deal with people who are, who are suffering from depression or suffering from different things and the, just the crush of life and can they really experience joy. And, and he gave me this, some really great insight and then he said this, if my suffering brings him glory, well, joy. That's the essence of surrender. If my life, and my suffering, and my difficulty, and my relationships, and all the things in my life that rub me the wrong way and they're like sandpaper to me and I would rather not walk through them or live through them, if all of those things, somehow God gets in it and the Holy Spirit is at work and it brings him glory, if I am surrendered to Christ, if I am focused on Christ, if I am living solely for Christ, joy. Then my suffering is joy. Chew on that this week because it, I'm going to tell you something. It, it, it doesn't come natural. It is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And you know how I know that? Because yesterday I was at home, just me and the dog, it was quiet. I was studying. 
I mean, and when I study, I mean, I cry, I pray, I'm on my face, I'm on my knees, I'm, I'm just reading everything, I'm just, and I was staying, I mean, it was just like being in the third heaven, I was just, thank you, God, I'm praying for you guys, I'm praying for this, I'm just, oh, I'm just, I just, I just couldn't have been any closer to the Lord, and then I went to Walmart. in the middle of the afternoon. Like, what was I thinking? <laughs> and it wasn't Walmart that was really the problem. It was getting from my house to Walmart. Where do people get their driver's license? I mean, mail order stuff. Got to be. I was trying to... I'm just going to diverge here for a moment and vent. I was trying to take a, make a left-hand turn on 41. Now, I've got, I'm in 41 on the right side, and I've got to make a left-hand turn, go all the way across 41 to get to the street that I need. There's a light, but it's no arrow. It's just a green light. So I have to wait in my little turn lane for all the cars. You know, and I'm telling you, it's season. There's a lot of people here. All oh, streams and streams of cars. And I know that I have a green light, and I know that I can go when the traffic clears. <laughs> well, some Yahoo behind me started blowing his horn at me. And I did what I have done before. I went. <laughs> and for those of you just listening and not seeing, I didn't say anything or do anything ugly. I just raised my hand and said, what? What do you want me to do? There's tra you know, I'm just, I'm just like, who can be so stupid? Do you know what he did? He got out of the turn lane, into the other lane, almost caused a wreck, went around me, got in front of me, blocked the median there so nobody on that side can make a left turn. And then he's like, he goes out in front of track. He just almost just killed like everybody at that intersection. He turned into the same parking lot I did. And I mean, it was only the Lord that shut my mouth. Because I saw him get out of that darling little car he was driving. And he was a retiree. And I'm thinking, where are you going so fast? You're retired. Is this how you live the golden years? And I wanted to put my window down and just tell him what an idiot he was. But I didn't. And you know what? I got home and I'm still mad. I pull in the driveway. I'm still mad. I go in the garage. I'm still mad. And God just stops me just like that. And he said, what happened to this morning? Let me just tell you, there's a lot of stuff out there that will rob you, that will just try to suck the joy right out of your life, and it will if you let it. But real joy is a work of the Holy Spirit, and it is a surrender to him even at Walmart, even behind, <laughs> even behind the wheel of a car, even when people don't drive very good, or even when you go home and your husband is not kind to you or your children neglect you. In every situation, there are things that just want to rob us of this joy, but we cannot be robbed of the Holy Spirit. But we can surrender and cooperate. Thank you for joining us today for this Word of Joy podcast. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Word of Joy or you would like to know more about the resources that are available, just take a look at our website at www.wordofjoy.org.